Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right. Well, we're going to jump into it. We got a lot to cover. We're going to um, really be in three dif- different chapters today, but we're going to uh, kind of wrap up Jacob's story as it pertains to uh, hanging out with his uncle Laban. And, and uh, we're going to see a, a lot of conflict, um, a little bit of conflict resolution. Um, but we're going to see the story of Jacob move forward and as he um, prepares to go back to the land of Canaan. So let me pray for us and we'll jump into it this morning. Lord, we're grateful for uh, your love. We're grateful for the rain. We needed it. And I pray that you would just uh, protect everyone on the roads today as they're driving. And and Lord, we pray that as we study this passage today, that you would uh, open our ears to hear what you would have us to hear Lord, may we understand that uh, we serve a great God, and you are always in control, and you're working behind the scenes in ways that we can't always see, and we can trust you because you're faithful at all times and in every way. So uh, we give you this time together, and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're going to talk about uh, Jacob wrestling with God. Uh, we're all familiar with the story of, of Jacob kind of going to the mat with God, but we're also going to see that he, uh, he has a, a few altercations along the way. Before he ever gets to that story, it's going to be uh, kind of fisticuffs with others. Uh, Jacob is a manipulator. He's kind of a schemer. Uh, he, he's along the way, uh, worked things to his advantage. And we're going to see him kind of go to the mat with God. But before he gets there, he's going to go to the mat with a few other people. And so we're, it's like the main card, but there's some preliminary matches that are going to take place in Jacob's life. And it's really God preparing him for all that's to come. And so what we're going to see is him, of course, going to the mat with Laban. We're going to see him actually go to the mat with his own wife, Rachel. And Rachel's had some issues along the way. Rachel has had uh, issues with um, taking control, doing things her way, according to her will. Um, And we're going to see that continue as we move forward. And then we're going to see him eventually go to the mat with Esau. Uh, This is a long-awaited match. This is the one he's been dreading, the idea of going back and running back into his uh, brother Esau, who he basically cheated. Uh, So all of this is going to happen in the chapters that we're looking at today. And then we're going to see him actually wrestle with God as well. So let's just set it up. Verse 22, God remembered Rachel. This is looking backwards. We didn't cover all of this last week, but you remember Rachel was the favorite one. It's, it's the one wife that he wanted. He ended up with Leah because of the deception of his uncle. But what happens? Rachel is barren. God stops her womb. She can't have children. And it says, God remembered Rachel. God listened to her and opened her womb where she can finally give birth. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. And as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, and then we're going to see the story carry forward. He says, send me away. It's time to go home, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. He wants to go home. It's it's been 14 plus years, right, that he's been living with 
Laban and all of his kin up there in Haran, but he, he wants to go home. This has been an objective of his all along, to go find a wife. He's actually gotten two wives, a couple of concubines, but now he wants to go home. Fourteen years later, remember seven years he worked to have, he thought, the hand of Rachel, but it ended up being Leah. And then he works another seven years in order to get the hand of Rachel. Fourteen years he labored in order to have a wife, in order that he might go home. And what we see in this passage is the impetus behind his desire to go home is the birth of Joseph. Rachel has not yet had a kid until this point. Remember, God stopped her womb. He uh, didn't allow her to have a child until Joseph. And with the birth of Joseph, it's like Jacob goes, now it's time. I got the one thing I wanted, the wife I wanted. I got the son I wanted through her, even though he's got other sons through the concubines and through Leah. But this is the driving force that makes him want to go home. He's waited years, right? Labored and labored and labored, trying to get what he wants in order that he can go home and hopefully receive all the promises that God had made to him along the way. Rachel, his favorite wife, has a child. Um, She's going to end up having another one, but that's going to come later in the story. And so this drives him to want to go home. There's nothing in the text, guys, that tells us that he's heard anything from home all during these 14 years. There's, there's no phone calls. There's no you know, emails that have been exchanged. We really don't know if he knows anything about the situation back at home. Um, the scriptures seem to indicate that his mom has already died. His dad's still living. Esau's still living. Um, but he doesn't have any idea, is, has Esau forgotten? Has Esau forgiven? We don't know. But he wants to go home because home is where all the blessings are supposed to come. It's in the land of Canaan that he will become fruitful and prosperous. And so he wants to go home. He's been away long enough. And, and let's face it, he didn't have a great time with Laban. Right? Laban was not an easy guy to work for and live with. He had cheated him, and he'll say, he cheated me 10 different times on my income. And so he's sick of living with Laban. He wants to go home. And this is what God had told him back in chapter 28. One day I will bring you back to this land, the land of Canaan. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. That was that promise that God had made when he was lying on that rock. And God said, I'm going to bring you back here but I'm going to go with you there and I'm going to fulfill every promise that I've made to you. And so that's part of the reason he, he wants to go home. Now he's got four wives, 11 sons, one daughter, Dinah, and she'll factor in later as we move forward, but really has little else. Um, he's really got no property to speak of. He owns no land. Um, he's, he's pretty much in a way impoverished. He's got lots of kids, but not much to show for it after 14 years of labor. He's, and all of his labor has been to what? Pay for his wives, the bride price. Seven years for uh, Leah and then seven years for Rachel. So he's, he's, he doesn't have much of a portfolio, right? And yet he's going home with 12 kids, four wives, 
And how in the world am I going to pull this off? That's, that's got to be what's going through his brain as he prepares to leave. So he goes to Laban and he says, give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go. For you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Now, there's really no way to know if Laban is blowing smoke, full of hot air, making this up. Did he receive divination? Did he he get some kind of um, word? I, I don't think he needed it because he had grown rich because of his son-in-law working for him. Remember, 14 years he had labored really for two wives, and this guy had grown rich because of Jacob. And guess what? He didn't want him to leave. You can see why he didn't want him to leave, because he likes him working for him, because he's grown rich. If he, if he leaves, he's going to lose that. And so he doesn't want him to go. He says, name your wages and I'll give it. What's going on here? I want you to stay. I need you. You're profitable to me. I, I, and I think he also is driven by the fact that he wants his two daughters to stay there. He wants all his grandchildren to stay there. And it's not so much that he likes Jacob as much as that he wants to continue to use Jacob, Right. And so he says, stay here, name your wages, and I will give it. This ought to ring a bell in Jacob's head, right? We've been down this path before, name your wages. It's never worked out well for Jacob. So what's going to happen? Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I've served you. You know full well what I've done for you, how your livestock have fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. Now, One of the things I want you to see as we go through these passages is how there's a shift taking place in Jacob. Uh, Jacob, for the first time, seems to be giving God credit for everything that's going on. He's pointing to God and saying, God did this. God prospered you. God prospered me. God is working behind the scenes. He's beginning to see the hand of Yahweh. He says, but now when shall I provide for my own household? hey, it's time for me to take care of my family. When am I going to be able to do that? And so he, he's basically kind of pushing back on Laban going, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to just keep working for you and, and signing these agreements that basically sign away my rights and sign away my life. I'm going to push back. And so Laban says, what shall I give you? And Jacob is going to tell him exactly what he wants. And it's going to be one of the strangest stories in all of scripture, as far as I'm concerned. Jacob wants to leave. That's clear. In order to leave, he needs resources. He's got wives, he's got kids, but he has no resources to go home. How's he going to live? How's he going to take care of all these kids and these four wives? He needs resources. Everything he's worked for had basically gone into the pocket of Laban. And so what he's going to do is he's, he's going to fleece Laban. I told you last week, I, I love seeing people who deserve getting what they deserve, you know. Well, now we're going to see Laban get what he deserves. You know, Jacob kind of got screwed by Laban. Now he's going to turn the table on Laban, and he's going to take advantage of Laban. He makes him an offer he can't refuse. He's going to tell him Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's my price. 
And Laban is going to be all over it. And it's, it's just strange. Everything about this passage is strange. And it's, it's amazing to read all the different commentators about what they think is going on. And nobody knows exactly what's going on. It's really hard to tell what's happening because he basically goes to Laban and says, I want you to give me all your damaged goods. And, and we're talking about flocks. And he's going to make a proposal to Laban that, again, he, he, he can't refuse. It, Laban's going to sit there, and it, you can almost see he's salivating. You know, like it's just dripping down his chin as he listens to his son-in-law go, here's what I'm willing to do. He's going, really? You want to do that? You're a moron. But, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll sign up for that. And, and again, it's, it's completely weird. He basically says, I want all your speckled, spotted, and black sheep. That's what he asked for. I want to go through your flocks that he's been taking care of for 14 years. And he goes, I want all the damaged ones. I want the, the unprofitable ones. See, dark sheep, speckled sheep, spotted sheep were considered anomalies. They were oddities. They, they weren't considered um, profitable. You, you didn't want that. Their wool was less valuable. They... they you didn't want them breeding with the other sheep because if they did, then the likelihood of them producing more spotted and speckled sheep would happen. And so he goes, I'll take all those off your hands and I'll put them aside for me. And Laban goes, okay, you can have all the spotted, speckled and black sheep because they make lousy breeding stock. Well, Laban as Laban has always done, is, is still scheming on his own. He's still thinking, how can I screw my son-in-law? He, he's still thinking of ways that, how can I turn this to my favor? And, and again, it's a bizarre thing. Jacob has pretty much asked for, I want all the unwanted and undesirable sheep. And his father-in-law goes, okay, you can have them. Take them. But he's lying. Because what he does is he basically sets them aside. He tells his sons to go and pull all those sheep, those speckled, spotted, and dark sheep out of the flock and hide them. I mean, this guy is evil. You know, Jacob has come and said, here's my wages. I want all the damaged goods. And he goes, fine, you can have them. And then he tells his sons to go hide them so he can't get his hands on them. That's what goes on in the stories. This story, he says, give me these as my wages. In the future, when you check on the animals you have given me as my wages, you'll see that I've been honest, Jacob says. If you find in my flock any goats without speckles or spots or any sheep that are not black, you will know that I have stolen them from you. Jacob is basically saying, I want the damaged goods. That's how I will profit. And you can have everything else. And I'll continue to shepherd those sheep for you but I'll have my own sheep, the speckled, the spotted, and the dark. Well, what happens? That very day, Laban went out and removed the male goats that were streaked and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, or had white patches, and all the black sheep. He placed them in the care of his sons, who took them three days' journey from where Jacob was. He basically says, it ain't gonna happen. I get your idea, I know what you want, but... I, I don't even want you to have those sheep. So he hides them three days journey away. He's still trying to take advantage of poor Jacob. 
So this is where it gets really bizarre, guys. And I'm, I, hope, I hope as we go through it, you'll, you'll begin to, to understand where I'm going. When I, if you read the devotionary that I wrote on this, my views on this have changed somewhat. Um, when I wrote that earlier in the year, last year, um, I really wasn't sure what's going on in the story. But I think the more I studied it, I, I think I see what's going on. But listen to what he does. It says, Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. In other words, um, trees that have, um, oh, the meat of the tree is light in color. And he's going to take those and he peels white streaks in them. Now, I hope you're reading this and going, well, that's weird. What's he doing? What's he thinking? And he exposes the white of the sticks and he sets the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs, that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink. And since they bred when they came to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. He's taking care of his father-in-law's flocks. The sons have taken away all the speckled and spotted. All he's got left are the white sheep. And he does this really bizarre thing where he takes these strips of wood, branches, and he peels off and he makes stripes of white. And he sticks them by the water troughs and it says the flocks bred in front of the sticks and they brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted. What the heck is going on with this? It sounds like witchcraft. It sounds like some kind of a bizarre um, old wives' tale. What, what's happening here? Well, the more I've studied this, I, I realize that this is the hand of God working behind the scenes in ways that make no sense. I don't care how many times you read the story, it makes no sense. Nothing about it makes sense. So what's going on? It is a bizarre, strange, out-of-the-ordinary, far-fetched plan, but it seems to work. He's peeling these strips, and he's going to place them in the watering troughs, these striped branches, in the hopes that the sheep will mate, and when they look at it, they will produce striped, spotted, speckled sheep. Really? That works? That, that's a thing? Well, it, it seems to work. When they mate, the lambs produce speckled and spotted. That's what the passage says. It seems to be that whatever this weird thing that he's come up with actually works. And then what he does is he takes those lambs that have been born that are speckled and spotted and dark, and he separates them. Now, what you have to understand, 14 years have gone by. He's going to spend 20 years in Haran, so between the 14th year and the 20th year, all of this is taking place. See, what you have to think about is that for sheep to mate and then to give birth takes time. I don't know what that time is, but over a period of years, he is building his flock doing this weird thing, this weird breeding program. The next season, he reintroduces the spotted sheep into Laban's flock. And so when those spotted sheep come in and they mate with the white sheep, guess what? You get more speckled and spotted sheep. He, he's working this plan, and in doing so, he's building his own flock of speckled and spotted sheep. The white sheep mated with him and produced more spotted and speckled sheep. 
Evidently, from year 14 to year 20, this was going on. And so he's beginning to build his own flock. He's beginning to build his portfolio of animals so that he can leave. It says, this is how he built his own flock instead of increasing Laban's. See, Laban thought he was going to take advantage of Jacob. Jacob's actually taking advantage of him. And as a result, Jacob became very wealthy. And with large flocks of sheep and goats, female and male servants, and many camels and donkeys. Now, how did he get the camels and donkeys? Well, obviously, with his growing flock, he's selling some. He's able to, he now has revenue. He's able to buy things. And he's beginning to grow in wealth and prominence over those six years as he stays in Haran with the goal of eventually going home. But see, he needs this in order to go home. He's got to have resources to go home. Here's what I see happening. God's hands are all over this. God is working this to Jacob's advantage. And, and, and it's really not something he came up with. This was not his idea. When I first read through this um, last year, it, it seems like this was all something he came up with. He, he developed this idea. And it almost sounds, like I said earlier, like witchcraft, black magic, or, or some kind of a wives' tale. If you, if you take striped pieces of wood and you put them in the watering trough, when the sheep mate, they'll produce striped and spot. Okay, no, there's, there's no way. And it's hilarious how many commentators will try to bring genetics into this and try to scientifically prove that, well, there is some truth to this. No, this is a God deal. This is God doing something that sounds so bizarre. It's not folklore. It's not witchcraft. It's God, and he's following God's orders. It's amazing when you read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament, and you see God asking people to do really bizarre things, like God asking Noah to build an ark. That story is so bizarre when you think about there's never been a ship before, there's never been a flood before, there's you know no large body of water anywhere near the guy, and he says, go build an ark, and he does it. Strange, bizarre, weird. Uh, you, you have Ezekiel being told to pack a bag, dig a hole through a wall, crawl through it, and then in doing so, you're showing what's going to happen to the people of Israel. Bizarre, weird, God ordered, God ordained commands that we look at and go, why would God ask anyone to do something so bizarre? Well, the same thing's true here. God has ordered this. I love this from Victor Hamilton. He says, how does Jacob manage to succeed? Do one colored animals produce bicolored young simply by looking at a bicolor object in their mating time? The answer is no. No, that doesn't happen. It's not Jacob's rods that produce the right kind of offspring for Jacob. Jacob testifies that it was God, not magic, that brought about the desired results. I think everything about this story is God telling Jacob to do something that sounded so strange and he did it and was obedient and he was blessed for doing it. Here's what I know. God sometimes asks you to do things that sound strange, weird, uncomfortable, unfun. I don't want to do it. And he says, just obey me. Just follow my will and you will be blessed. That's exactly what happens here. Chapter 31 says, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. He's basically fleecing Laban 
and the sons are angry because it's their inheritance. He's over here building his flock. It's growing. Laban's getting smaller, and they realize this guy is taking away our inheritance, and they're angry. He's taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favors before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. What did he tell him back in chapter 28 when he was lying on that rock? He said, I will be with you. I will go with you, and I will return you to this land. He has been with him all along the way, even in this whole story. So Jacob sent, called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. This guy has taken advantage of of me repeatedly. But what does he say? But God has been with me. God has been delivering me. God did not permit him to harm me. See, Jacob is is beginning to wake up and realize that he serves a great God. His God was with him, was watching over him, was blessing him, was bringing about every promise that he ever made to him. And so he says, if the spotted shall be your wages, then all the the flock bore spotted. What he's basically saying, no matter what Laban said to take advantage of me, God would not let him. So if Laban said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. God blessed me. And he could change the rules as many times as he wanted, Laban, and it wouldn't work because God was on Jacob's side. If he said, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. What's he acknowledging? God is all over this. I look at my life, guys, and, I, and, and far too often I don't give God credit. I don't confess that God did this. I think I did it. I think it was happenstance. I think it was karma, kismet, fate. No, it's God. God is doing all of this in his life, and he recognizes it. He says, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes, and this is where it's critical. This is what never jumped out at me before. I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. He had a dream at some point, and in that dream, he sees all these spotted, speckled, and black sheep. God visited him in a dream. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I don't know exactly what happened in the stream. I don't know exactly what he saw, but he sees God working behind the scenes in his favor, blessing him. He says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now rise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. He's sending him home, but he gives them this dream. It's, it's, it's like dream number two. You remember the dream that he had of the ladder, the angels going up and down on the ladder and God was standing beside him. And that's when God said, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you and I'm going to return you. Well, in this dream, he sees God giving him this, this idea of the speckled and spotted. 
And I believe God's the one who gave him the idea of the uh, striped branches. And here's, here's the deal. I think when he heard it, he went, all right, God, are you nuts? That doesn't work. And God says, but do it. Trust me. And he had to follow through. He had to follow God's strange plan. And in doing so, he was blessed because God is still fulfilling every promise he made 14 years earlier. Here's what he said. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. How many kids does he already have? 13. God has blessed him and he's not done yet. God has been fulfilling promises and he's been incredibly fruitful already, but he's still needed resources. God knew he didn't have any resources. He knew he had no flocks, no camels, no, no uh, anything. He had no money, had no land. And so God is blessing him in a major way. Thanks to Laban, he's destitute. But God is greater than Laban. God's gonna step into it. Even though he had no flocks, no land, God comes up with this really strange six-year breeding program. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I I don't know that I would have followed through on this. I would have thought this is weird. This is bizarre. It doesn't work. But because he was obedient, God blessed him. And it says he was wealthy by the time he left. He leaves a prosperous man. By who's doing? His? No, God's. God was doing all of that. So he arises, set his sons with his, and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Here's the deal. He's leaving, and he's leaving wealthy. He's got lots of kids, four wives, and herds and flocks. He is richly blessed, and he's going home. But what's at home? Esau. He's still got to face Esau. He's got an uncertain future ahead of him again, but we've seen now that he's beginning to trust God, that God knows what he's doing. When he leaves, Laban is not going to just roll over. He's angry, he's upset, and he's going to chase him. And he's gonna go to the mat with Laban one last time because this guy's furious. Why is he furious? Because he's taken everything. He's taken sheep, he's taken wives, grandkids, and he's left. And he didn't tell them he was leaving, which really sets Laban off. He's so angry that he chases him. And he finds out that somebody stole one of my household gods. So he's really hacked, right? You know, you took all my sheep, you left my, my flock small, you've taken my daughters, you've taken their concubines, you've taken my... 12 grandchildren, and now one of my household gods, and he goes on pursuit. For seven days, he chases him. He's pretty upset, and he's taking others with him. This is like a posse, right? They're going after Jacob because Jacob has taken advantage of him, but Laban on the way gets a message from God. I love how God works behind the scenes, guys. He, he, he gives him a message, and he tells him, you better walk carefully. You, you, you better be careful how you handle this. God came to Laban in a dream. Here's a third dream. And I told you last week, dreams are gonna factor in over and over again in the book of Genesis. 
And he says, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. What does that mean? Well, I love how the New Living Translation puts it. The previous night, God had appeared to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream and told him, I'm warning you, leave Jacob alone. Be careful. I'm God, be careful. He basically warns him, do not do anything to harm Jacob because he's mine. Everything that he's done to you, I've ordained. I have blessed him. So be very careful. Leave him alone. But Laban can't resist, right? He is so stubborn. He is so manipulative. He can't resist. So he chases him. And then when he catches him, he, he accuses him of deceit and theft. Remember, he's missing a household god. And he thinks somebody, probably Jacob, stole it. And so he's angry and he's, he's lashing out. He's verbally abusing Jacob. And then he searches for the God, but he doesn't find it. He, he comes up empty-handed because Rachel is the one who stole it. And she's sitting on it. The scriptures basically say, she says, she, she puts it under the saddle on which she's sitting and she tells her father, I can't get up because I'm in my menstrual period. That's basically what she says. And so the father just walks away. Rachel has really put Jacob in a spot because probably had he, she not stolen this household idol, I don't know that Laban would have chased him for seven days, but he's really hot about that one thing. And she's really put her husband in a bad spot. And they end up at odds, Rachel and Jacob. You remember earlier when she couldn't get pregnant and she goes to him and says, I want to be pregnant, make me pregnant. And he goes, I, I can't make you pregnant. I can have sex with you, but I can't make you pregnant. That's God's deal. There was already a problem between these two. And now it's even worse because she's put him in a really tough spot. And she just, she's made matters worse. She's stolen something she never should have stolen. I think Rachel is um, idolatrous. I think she worships Yahweh. She prays to Yahweh, but she also prays to these gods. And she's also trying to get back at her dad. So this causes problems within the home of Jacob. Well, Jacob and Laban finally work things out Laban's going to leave, and they sign a covenant together. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar, and then Laban leaves, goes home, kisses goodbye to his grandkids and his wife, his uh, daughters, and then he goes back to Iran, and Laban leaves, and Jacob heads down to Canaan. So we've already seen all these battles with Laban, battles with Rachel, Battle's going on, but there's more to come, right? Chapter 32, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. I love this, how God, is, as Jacob is moving back towards Canaan, God is visiting him. He sends those angels, the same angels that are going up and down that ladder back in chapter 28. It says, when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, what's going on here? See, Jacob knows I got to go home, and the first thing I got to do is I've got to meet my brother. 
20 years have gone by. He has no idea if Jacob's still angry, but he's assuming the worst that he is. And what he does is he basically is going to try to buy off his brother. He knows this is probably going to go really bad. He knows that he cheated his brother out of the birthright. He knows he cheated him out of the blessing. And so he knows that his brother is probably still angry with him. So what he does is he starts falling back into his old habit of scheming rather than trusting God. He tries to bribe him. He sends messengers and he tells them, hey, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, and I, I want to bless you. But it doesn't seem to work. They, they offer Esau all kinds of riches, but when they come back, they, they tell him, hey, we met with your brother and he's coming with 400 men. Now, when Jacob hears that, what goes through his brain? Well, that's not a welcoming party, right? That's not, you know, the welcome wagon. That's 400 armed men probably coming to kill me. And he is scared to death. And so he tries to buy off his brother. He starts organizing all his flocks and his herds and his family in two groups. And he's going to send them ahead of him in the hopes that when Esau meets them, he will calm down and not kill him. See, he's falling back into his old habits of not trusting God, but he does pray. He does call out to God. I love this prayer. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan. And now I have become two camps. I'm very wealthy because of you. You have blessed me. You've been kind to me. And then he says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I love the fact that he's still kind of manipulative. He's still trying to bribe his brother. He's still scared, but he calls on God and he says, you know what? I owe you everything. You've watched over me. You've blessed me. You've taken care of me. You're going before me. And so I beg of you, I beseech you, would you please protect us as we move forward? Because your promises are true. Deliver me. Rescue me. I need you. He, he, he has no idea what's going to happen when he meets his brother, but he fears the worst. Well, this is going to lead to the most epic battle in the story, far greater than the one he had, had with Laban, far greater than the one with uh, Rachel, and far greater than even the one he will have when he meets his brother Esau. He wants God to deliver him. Deliver him from what? Esau, the revenge of Esau, the anger of Esau, but Esau is going to prove to be nothing compared to God. See, he needed to go to the mat with God. He's prayed to God. He's acknowledged God that you're the one who, who has blessed me. You're the only one who can deliver me, but he's got to answer to God. For what? Well, you remember last week we looked at this. When God made all those promises to him after that vision of the angels going up and down on the ladder. And God said, I'll be with you. I will go with you and I'll bring you back. 
Here's what he said to God. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. He bartered with God. He bargained with God. He tried to make deals with God. And he questioned the veracity of God, the faithfulness of God. If, 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 then. Well, see, God's going to hold him accountable to the vow that he made. And he's going to learn that his God truly is faithful. Now, this is a fantastic story because it says that night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children, and they crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. He sends his kids, he sends his wives, he sends all of his flocks and his herds. And it says he was left alone. He needed to be alone because God was about to come and meet with him. It says, a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. We know this isn't a man because later on he's going to acknowledge, I have just met with God. I've gone to the mat with God. I've wrestled with God and I've lived to talk about it. He appears as a man. It's a theophany. It's God appearing in human form, but it's God. And it says, that man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. He being God, let me go. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. See, here he is one more time. Bless me. Wait a minute. You just acknowledge that he's blessed you and you're demanding that he bless you again. How many times does God need to bless you before you believe you're blessed? See, he's blessed. I'll not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? Well, it's Jacob. Heel holder, supplanter, trickster. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. He's striven with God. That's, that's old English, right? Nobody says striven anymore. You fought with God. You've gone to the mat with God. You've wrestled with God. You've been opposed to God. You have gone into warfare with God over what? Over your life, over control, over your will versus his. See, this guy had spent his entire life fighting God in one form or fashion, choosing his will over God's will over and over again. This is what I want. I want the blessing. I want the birthright. I want to be in control. I want to be the master of my own fate. And God is trying to let him know that, you know what? No, I'm in control. You need to trust me. And the battle that he's fought with God over these last 20 years is about to come to a screeching halt. There in the dark, as he wrestles with God. See, God changes his name. He changes it to Israel. And that name means let God rule. I love that because God is basically saying, Would you for once in your life just let me have control? Trust me. Bow to me. Rely on me. Obey me. Let me do for you what only I can do for you. He gets that new name and he also gets a permanent limp. We don't know exactly what happened to him, but from this point forward, he would would always have that limp and it would be a reminder of his, quote, victory, right? He prevailed over God. Did he? Did he really prevail over God? Had he defeated God? 
I don't think so, right? I don't think he won a victory over God. He's trying to make this man, this man who represents God, bless him, but God had already blessed him. This isn't a victory. He was demanding a blessing he'd already received. He's demanding from God what God had already promised. He didn't force God's hand, guys. The blessing had always been his. He never had to trick his brother. He never had to deceive his father. None of this had been necessary because God had ordained it from the time they were in the womb. He just needed to let God rule. And again, if you get nothing else out of this morning, that's what you need. That's what I need. I need to let God rule. I got to stop playing God. I got to stop trying to help him out, give him suggestions, and let him do what only he can do. And it's a fight to the finish. It's going to be a fight that, that ends up with him submitting to the will of God. And we're going to see a change take place in the like of Jacob as we move forward. He's learning that Yahweh, God Almighty, Jehovah, is in control all the time, in all ways, even in Haran and even in Canaan. See, you can fight God, but you'll never defeat him. And that was the lesson he had always needed to learn. You Guys, you can fight with God. You can wrestle with God, but you're never going to defeat God. You're never going to have victory over God. All you're going to do is end up being blessed by God. And you may walk away with a permanent limp. You know, you may walk away with a little pain, but God's will will always win out. I'll close with this. It reminds me of that encounter that Saul, the persecutor of the church, had with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus on the road to Emmaus, or the road to Damascus. It says, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. I don't know that that's a lesson I've ever fully learned, but I want to learn it. I want to understand that it's useless for me to fight against the will of God. And it's so much better if I would submit to it, obey it, trust him, rely on him, lean on him. So here's your questions for this morning. Why do you think we fight against God's will? What's the motivating factor behind that? Most of us in this room have been in Christ for a long time. Why in the world are we still fighting God's will? What drives us to do that? Secondly, in what ways did Jacob's actions in these chapters reveal his ongoing battle with God? How do we see him fighting God for the last 20 years in one way or another? And then finally, what would it look like for you to let God rule in your life? What are you still holding on to? What's the one thing you don't want him to rule over that you want control of? And what would it look like for you to let go of that today and let him rule? Well, Father, thank you for these men. Thank you for your word and for how you speak to us through these incredible stories of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rachel and Rebecca and how we can see you behind the scenes in their lives, but sometimes we don't see quite so clearly you working in our own lives. But would you help us to let you rule and to understand that you are always in control and your will is far better than ours? Teach us that, Father, today. And may we trust you more than we've ever trusted you before for every area of our lives, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that, that you are working and we can trust you because you're faithful. 
We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.